So, day of resolutions. Day of resolutions. And of course, on this day, millions of people are resolved to change um, what's going to happen in 2024. And of course, we know what the most common ones are, right, don't we? Um, losing weight, sticking to a healthier diet, exercise regularly, sign up for the gym, making better financial choices. For some, it's quitting smoking. I had a talk to Jill about that. Not a good thing when you have diverticulitis. Smoking's not good for that. Um, And spending more time with family, that's what we want to do. Perceptions of the success of these resolutions vary. In one particular study, less than 10% of people who seek or make new resolutions felt that they were successful in achieving them. 10%, less than 10%. So um, what can you do to make it more likely that you will keep your resolution? Well, there's some stuff that you can find available and here's how to keep your New Year's resolutions actually. talks about, you know, be realistic, stick to one, uh, write out detail plan. I like the bit, ask for support from loved ones. Um, but if you ever wanted to know uh, why people um, have dogs as their best friend, uh, now you know why because they're very helpful. Um, But even if resolutions don't always stick, that doesn't mean that resolutions aren't worth making. People who planned to make New Year's resolutions were more more optimistic about the future. So looking around for what are some... Now, I went went pre-COVID 2020 because COVID changed a whole pile of things. But what's interesting, out of these 10 top things in 2020, five of them uh, relate to health. Um, yeah, lose weight, go to the gym, um, be healthier mentally, um, healthy diet. And of course, there was one uh, that particularly stuck out there, is be better. And Craig talked about that earlier on when he was song leading. It's, um, why, why would I pick that? Because, you know, as a church family, and my focus here today is our family, um, well, I think we did okay last year. I think we did okay. Some things could have been better. Oh, a bit like Paul, you know, forget the past, what about the future? Um, but I do want to do things better. Uh, I think we want to be better. And what does better mean? Better means to increase the good qualities, to make better, improve, to better one's grades or to better a lot of the, you know, to improve upon, surpass and exceed. All of the things that I think we'd like to do as, as a church family. So I don't have the secret sauce for that other than to say, yeah, I want to be better. So I picked four things that I'm going to talk about today. Um, short list, very simple, so you don't forget them, but just four things. Um, and the first of those four things is be better at priorities. Be better at priorities. Um, and we read from Matthew chapter 6:25, a familiar verse. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Are you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This verse makes it clear that Jesus' disciples are not simply to refrain from the pursuit of temporal and material things as their primary goal in order to differentiate themselves from pagans. Instead, they are to replace such pursuits with goals of far greater significance, to seek first the kingdom of God. There are only two kinds of an ambitious life, the self-centred one and the God-centred one. Our priority ought to be for God. If that is our priority, Jesus' disciples are assured that all the necessary things will be given to them by their Heavenly Father. Keeping focused on what's important, keeping focused on that priority. We often hear about this work-life balance. They've got to get the work-life balance correct. In Psalm 127, verses 1 to 2, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he who gives to his beloved sleeps. The psalm reminds us of the Lord's involvement in one's work. Each concluding phrase begins in the Hebrew text with the phrase in vain. This emphasis calls attention to the place of God's blessing on all human efforts. The psalm invokes a response of wisdom in the wise and that they would desire to be more God-centred in their everyday lives. God shouldn't be segmented out of all of the other aspects of our lives. We need to make sure that God is involved in every corner of our lives. We need to find the balance in our lives which includes being focused on God. Despite all the busyness of our world, we must focus on our relationship with him. When we don't include church, we get out of balance. We can't be all that God wants us to be. Work is a part of life if we do everything for the glory of God. And in Psalm 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. If the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Secondly, the psalmist encourages the godly to know that the Lord is God. 
Though it was tempting to ally ally themselves with foreign powers to rely on military strength or to give themselves over to idolatry and pagan ways, the godly must learn to persevere to the end. The exhortation to be still calls on them to stop doing one thing in favour of something else. The people of God distinguish themselves by the pursuit of godliness. Know that I am God. The knowledge of God includes a factual knowledge about him, his past acts and his promises. And finally, Paul confirmed the truth that God will provide, saying, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And the next thing we want to do is make better choices. When we think about better choices, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord ultimately expresses reverential submission to the Lord, to the Lord's will, and thus characterises a true worshipper. In the context, it is the first to controlling principle of knowledge. It is knowledge that helps us make better choices. Elsewhere in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, as it tells us in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the principal virtue that keeps you in the wisdom journey which you have begun. This counters the idea that wisdom is about just being a smart, savvy and skillful person. Wisdom is not about what you can do, but about how you live your life before the Lord. In Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 6, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear an increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the works of the wise and their riddles. The purpose to know wisdom and instruction, to understand the insights of the wise, to gain instruction in wise dealings and prudent behaviour, to know how to do what is right, just and fair. We often define wisdom as simply knowledge, but this wisdom is about living skilfully, insightfully and successfully before God in this world. In Colossians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen, my, seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We notice three points here from Paul's letter. First, all knowledge and wisdom are in Christ. Second, the world through its wisdom will not know God or his wisdom. And third, the wisdom of God that we possess will not match the wisdom of the world. When life does not start with God, 
then it is impossible to see life correctly. To better make choices, we need to know the wisdom of Christ. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning the central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. And we see from Proverbs, when we talk about wisdom and choices, we're told in some of these in Proverbs um, 11.14, where there is no guidance, a people fall. But in an abundance of counsellors, there is safety. Proverbs 15, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisers, they succeed. Proverbs 19, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. So Proverbs is telling us about seeking counsel, which leads us into you've got to have better relationships. Without relationships, you're not going to be seeking counsel. In Proverbs 12, verse 26, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbour, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The righteous cautiously avoid dangerous relationships, but the opposite is the righteous guides his neighbour aright. The proverb is advising correct action in relationships. In Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit's ministry set forth in these verses confirms for the believer the reality of the position of the Son of God based on adoption into the heavenly family. In contending against the flesh, one must be assured that he has been claimed by God and equipped with his infinite resources. We have a challenge in fully understanding this relationship. The Spirit does not lead us to cry out, I am God's child. Rather, he leads us to call out God as Father. To look away from ourselves to him who established the relationship. How unexpected and how breathtaking is the gracious provision of God. The marvel increases with the news that we are co-heirs with Christ. Sharing his sufferings may be looked at at simply the cost of discipleship. Yet it has a brighter aspect because it is the prelude to partaking with him of the coming glory. This is the relationship that we pursue. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 14, talking about Jesus, and he appointed 12, and he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. 
and he might send them out to preach. Even Jesus, when he walked this earth, needed relationships. He had 12 of them. Yes, they were disciples who he chose that they might, as it says here in Mark, be with him. Yes, Jesus wanted them with him so that he could train and prepare them. But there was also a matter of doing life together. It only stands to reason that when God put on flesh and walked the earth, that he would live in community. Throughout the pages of scripture, we see many great pictures of people doing life together. Moses and Aaron, Caleb and Joshua, David and Jonathan, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Esther and Mordecai, Peter and John, Paul and Silas, Barnabas and Mark, Paul and Timothy. Their stories without these relationships may have been much different. Relationships are important, but they need working on. We need relationships that will encourage us, support us, challenge us, love us, be there for us. Relationships who know us, accept us, believe in us and bring out the best in us. One of the most thorough research projects on relationships is called the Almeida County Study. Headed by a Harvard social scientist, it tracked the lives of 7,000 people over nine years. Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. Harvard researcher Robert Putnam notes that if you belong to no groups but to decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. People who had health habits such as smoking, poor eating, poor eating habits, obesity or alcohol use but strong social ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. So Pauline, in other words, it is better to eat chocolate with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. In Acts chapter 2, I need to read this. It's a verse that's familiar to you all. As we look at the book of Acts, we see that the early church got it. They fully understood that the community relationships was Jesus' plan all along. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And look what happens. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Which leads me into the fourth and final part. I want to be a better witness. I want to be a better witness. In First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, 16, But in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, Always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
When the centre of one's life is rightly related to God, he is able to respond properly to the vagaries of life. One of the distinguishing marks of Christians is their possession of hope. That makes us different. Christian hope is so real and distinctive that non-Christians are puzzled about it and ask for a reason. People need to see and hear something different about us that they want to ask the question. A good witness is naturally going to do good deeds. Those good deeds can be used as an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Jesus was the matter. Jesus was the master at this. He would often do some good deed and then use it as an opportunity to teach the people. Another familiar passage that I need to read. The passage sums up from John 17, 20, 23, the importance of the relationship between us and God. It will let the world know Jesus is the saviour of the world. Let us not be like Bill Watterson, the cartoonist of characters Calvin and Hobbes, who once said, God put me on this earth to accomplish certain number of things. Right now, I'm so far behind, I'll never die. But I want to say to you, we have the glue. As I look upon 2024, God leading us in unity and evangelism is the formula. The prioritising, God first. The right choices, better relationships and being a better witness is the formula that makes good glue. But even this requires one more thing. It's only going to happen when you make it happen. I can't do it for you and no one else can do it for you. You need to make it happen. But in the interests of sharing some good things with the family and wanting to help you on your journey, I can encourage you to have a theme song this year. Mariah Carey sings a song, Make It Happen. And that could be your theme song for the year because here's some of the words out of that song. Not more than three short years ago, I was abandoned and alone. Without a penny to my name, so very young and so afraid. No proper shoes upon my feet, sometimes I couldn't even eat. I often cried myself to sleep, but still I had to keep going, keep on going. Never knowing if I could take it, if I would make it through the night. I held on to my faith. I struggled and I prayed, and now I find my way. If you believe in yourself enough and know what you want, you're going to make it happen. And if you get down on your knees at night and pray to the Lord, he's going to make it happen. I know life can be so tough and you feel like giving up, but you must be strong. Baby, just hold on. 
You'll never find the answers if you throw your life away. I used to feel the way you do. Still, I have to keep going, never knowing if I could take it. If I would make it through the night, I held on to my faith. I struggled and I prayed and now I finally found my way. If you believe in yourself enough and know what you want, you're going to make it happen. And if you get down on your knees at night and pray to the Lord, he's going to make it happen.